Reading our Bibles regularly can be a challenge, but we're all on this journey together. We're praying that this podcast inspires you, helps you better understand God's Word, and builds your faith. This is Join the Journey with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're reading 2 Samuel 23 and 24, and we're answering two very specific questions. Number one, 2 Samuel 24.1 in the NLT reads, Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Did God really cause harm, or can God cause harm? And question number two, which comes from chapter 24, verses 16 and 17, let me read them. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that's enough. When David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. What are we to make of the Lord's wrath on Jerusalem, his relent, can God change his mind, and David's plea to take on that wrath? So let's dive right in and start with the first question. Based on chapter 24, verse 1, did God really cause harm or said differently, can God cause harm? One commentator begins addressing this question by reminding us that today's chapter concludes the book of 2 Samuel. We're closing a metaphorical door, if you will, as we are about to move into a new phase of Israel's history. Nonetheless, here we are in chapter 24, the last chapter of 2 Samuel, and the commentator writes, This last section of the book records another occasion on which God withdrew his blessing from Israel, this time because of David's sin. That's really important. This is because of David's sin. When David stopped trusting in Yahweh for protection and placed his confidence in his military personnel, God sent a serious disease that killed 70,000 men. Chapter 24 provides a fitting conclusion to the story of David by calling attention once more and finally, not only to his ambition and pride, but also to his humility and remorse. Every spiritual leader would do well to read this story once a year, the commentator concludes. Now you might be thinking, Emma, That's great context, but it doesn't answer the question. Chapter 24, verse 1 reads, Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Did God really cause harm, or can God cause harm? Well, don't worry. The commentator continues by saying, David probably ordered this census around 975 B.C., After the revolutions of both Absalom and Sheba, it would have been reasonable for David to reassess his military situation against the possibility of similar uprisings or other emergencies. In support of this hypothesis is the fact that Joab and the army commanders were able to take over nine months to gather the population statistics. That's verse 8. This suggests a very peaceful condition in Israel that characterized David's later reign, but not his earlier reign. Now, the writer of Chronicles, the commentator continues, the writer of Chronicles wrote that Satan, perhaps an adversarial neighbor nation, since the Hebrew word Satan means adversary, moved David to take the census. This is 1 Chronicles 21.1. Yet, in verse 1, the writer of Samuel said God was responsible. Both were true. This is really interesting. God used an adversary to bring judgment on the objects of his anger. See Job 1 through 2 or Acts 2. 
Paradoxically, a divinely sent affliction can be called a messenger of Satan, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So the commentator goes on to say that we can identify perhaps four levels of causality in verse 1. God was the final cause. The primary instrumental cause was Satan. The secondary instrumental cause was some hostile human enemy. And David was the efficient cause. The Lord was angry with Israel for some reason. He evidently allowed Satan to stir up hostile enemy forces to threaten David and Israel. In response to this military threat, David chose to number the people. David's choice was not his only option. He chose to number the people. He sinned because he failed to trust God. The Lord did not force David to sin. And the commentator concludes by saying quite clearly, David took the census to determine his military strength. Taking a census did not constitute sin. See Exodus 30 or Numbers 1. David's sin was apparently placing confidence in the number of his soldiers rather than in the Lord. So let me sum this up for us. Does God cause harm? Short answer, no. He simply allows things to come into our lives and we have the choice to respond. And in this instance, this harm was a consequence for David's poor choice to trust in the number of soldiers rather than to trust in the Lord. Moving on to question two, what are we to make of the Lord's wrath on Jerusalem, his relent, and David's plea to take on that wrath? Chapter 24, verses 16 and 17. They read, But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented, did he change his mind, and said to the death angel, Stop, that's enough. And when David saw the angel, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. So what are we to make of the Lord's wrath on Jerusalem, his relent, and David's plea to take on that wrath? For starters, let's make sure we're very clear on what the wrath of God is. The Got Questions website puts it like this. Wrath is defined as the emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice, often translated as anger, indignation, vexation, or irritation. Both humans and God express wrath, but there is a vast, a big difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of man. God's wrath is holy and always justified. Man's is never holy and very rarely justified. In the Old Testament, which is where we're reading, the wrath of God is a divine response to human sin and disobedience, idolatry being the most often occasion for divine wrath. So now that we understand wrath to be God's response to human sin and disobedience, we can understand that God's wrath was directed toward Israel because of sin and disobedience. However, in today's reading, we see that God relented which begs the question, does God change his mind? How could he relent? Well, there's another Gut Questions article, which we'll link in the episode description, that aptly answers this question, does God change his mind? But let me give you a brief but clear excerpt. The article reads, quoting Malachi 3.6, it begins, Malachi 3.6 declares, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Similarly, James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Numbers 23.19 is also clear. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 
So based on these verses, no, God does not change. He is unchanging and unchangeable. He is also all wise. So he can't change his mind in the sense of realizing a mistake, backtracking, and trying a new track. So how then do we explain verses that seem to say that God does change his mind? There are two important considerations involving the passages that say God changed his mind. First, we can say statements such as the Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, Genesis 6-6, are examples of anthropepatism, anthropepatism being a figure of speech in which the feelings or thought processes of finite humanity are ascribed to the infinite God. This is when I'm going to say it again. It's a figure of speech in which the feelings or thought processes of finite or limited humanity are ascribed to the infinite, unlimited God. It's a way to help us understand God's work from a human perspective. It's a literary device. In Genesis 6-6 specifically, we understand God's sorrow over man's sin. God obviously did not reverse his decision to create man. The fact that we're alive today is proof that God did not change his mind about the creation. Second, we must make a distinction between conditional declarations of God and unconditional determinations of God. In other words, when God said, I will destroy Nineveh in 40 days, he was speaking conditionally upon the Assyrians' response. We know this because the Assyrians repented and God did not, in fact, go through with this judgment. God did not change his mind. Rather, his message to Nineveh was a warning meant to provoke repentance and his warning was successful. This, this excerpt concludes. So when we think about today's passage, we, we can really camp out on this unconditional conditional idea because if God's wrath is in response to sin, we should actually expect repentance of the sin to result in God relenting. That said, if God doesn't change his mind and his wrath was originally to be poured out on Israel, how are we to specifically understand David's request for the wrath of God to be redirected from Israel as a whole onto him or toward him specifically? That's unique. Well, we have to understand that Christologically, David is a type of Christ. He's a dim reflection of the greater king who was to come, King Jesus. So what David was able to do in part, Jesus did perfectly and in full. One commentator puts it like this, An angelic messenger from God again brought death to many people throughout all of Israel, just like we saw back in Exodus 12. The angel of the Lord may have been the pre-incarnate Christ, but he could have simply been an angelic messenger whom God sent. Evidently, God gave David the ability to see the angel who was killing the people as the angel entered Jerusalem, prepared to kill more innocent victims of David's sin there. David asked God to have mercy on the people since he was the sinner responsible for the punishment. That's really important. David asked God to have mercy on the people since he was the sinner responsible for the punishment. He failed to appreciate the extent of the effects of his act when he ordered the census. Now note, David's heart as he makes this plea, his shepherd's heart, and his reference to his people as sheep in verse 17. He is even, even willing to suffer or die for the sake of the sheep, the commentator concludes. And so really, this leaves us to draw two conclusions as we wrap up. Number one, 
our sin affects those around us, meaning that our failure to take responsibility for our own mistakes hurts others. Just as David's sin left God's people in trouble, so too can our sin hurt others. And number two, David offered to sacrifice himself because he knew he was deserving of the wrath of God. But unlike David, Jesus sacrificed himself, taking the punishment that we deserve. Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross at all, to take the wrath of God upon himself. He was perfect, but yet he did it anyway. Jesus is the better David, and David points us to Jesus. That's all we've got time for today. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. The Join the Journey podcast is produced by Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. You can learn more about Watermark by connecting with us on social media. Just search Watermark Church, all one word. And to read along with us, visit jointhejourney.com. And thank you guys for listening.